Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. Um, because they, they're not going to, to allow that to be an exculpatory way of dealing with it. Because, it, and it's not just that the um, obligation ends at the date of the issue of the, of the PDS. And that, that's, it is the life cycle. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And today we have our Managing Director, Naomi Burley, and once again, our regulatory expert, Carol Ferguson. Hi, Carol. Hi, Naomi. How are you guys doing? Hi, Kwame. Morning. <laughs> so we are here to discuss the um, present that ASIC has left under the tree for entities, um, the new RG274, um, which I think is going to come into effect in October 5th of next year, I believe. Um, That's right. Yes. Yeah. So, Carol, get us started. What is RG274 for those who have been sleeping under a rock? <laughs> I think you'd have to be sleeping pretty under a big rock. But anyway, COVID times, who knows? Yeah. Um, it's the product design and distribution obligations that were highlighted initially in the um, in the Royal Commission as a, being an important thing and and indeed they they are an important thing and so it has now come to the to the um, to fruition after um, a consultation period on on the initial draft um, a number of, of submissions that were received 48 which is reasonably high. Um, and around um, a number of roundtables um, that were held with with various parties, including law firms, um, large um, entities, and um, various industry groups. And and so it's now um, time, as they say, it's Christmas. So why not give us a, a real gift um, to to put out RG um, two seventy four in its final form? Um, there have been some changes, but they're not. Um, man, major changes. It's more just clarification of language more than anything else. So, you know, the, the initial views that most people would have had on it have not particularly changed. Um, and there certainly hasn't been any um, step down from ASIC's view that um, this is um, going to come into effect on the 5th of October. There will be no leeway and people must be compliant by that date. And ASIC will start enforcement, including stop orders, immediately thereafter. So if people are not up to, to speed by, by that time, then they're, they're going to be in for a nasty shock. Um, so uh, 274 covers a number of things. First off, it's about um, a a entity engaging in the process to determine whether the what their product is suited, how it works, um, who it's designed for, and how it's distributed. So in this one, we're going to be talking. We're not going to be talking about distribution. We'll talk about that in another one to come up with in the future, including um, some wider issues about distribution. But this is about the design issues and and how how an entity has to engage in that process. First off, it's, it covers a very wide range of, of products. Um, almost everything is in as opposed to being out. Um, the only ones that are specifically out are the MySuper products, margin lending and, fully, and interestingly fully paid ordinary shares um, and securities under an employee share, share scheme. Um, the 
the shares one is an interesting one, given that it has, you know, um, there there have to be, um, you know, some some issues about whether they they would be ordinarily included. And certainly, I I might have thought that they might have been included if there was an if there was a an ongoing you know share offer to existing share off uh, shareholders. But but they have been um, exempted at this stage. So um, broadly, it's about products that require a product disclosure statement under um, Part 7.9 of the Corps Act. Um, for instance, interest in managed investment schemes, super schemes, general insurance, IDPS, etc. Um, hybrid securities are included and, um, and the credit products. So it's, it's a very wide range of, of products that are included. Uh, so something you mentioned in the beginning, um, you talked about the clarification of language. Had language been a problem in the previous iteration of this? Well, I didn't think so. Um, however, there were a number of people who who did think that some of the the issues, you know, needed to have some type of clarification. So ASIC's gone out to, as an example, um, on the product governance. Um, they have they intended to comply um, that um, uh, entities needed to take a, a risk management approach. Um, there were some people who who thought that that there were issues in relation to scalability and how that that would work. So that's been taken out. Um, so that you know, but certainly I think that that it is open. Sorry, it is recommended strongly that that you go through RG274 in great detail and highlight the products that are relevant to your business and read the examples because the examples are quite good, but, but there are some things that are left out. And, and I guess that it's really important that you, you go through and, and take a, um, what's the right word, a strong approach to how it's going to work. And, and I think when we talk about the role of compliance and risk people under this regime, this is really the time for compliance and risk to work effectively with the um, product design and marketing team to make certain that this pro these are, in fact, you know, the, the way that it works is going to be properly managed. From, from my perspective, this is now the time for actuaries, compliance, risk and um, um, expert firms, etc., to come to the fore. It's going to be an expensive exercise for many people. And I am, I am certain that there'll be a number of people who will drop out from various product groups because the cost of actually continuing in those is just too high. Carol, to, to yes. your point about the clarification of language, a phrase that jumped out to me early in the piece in the regulatory guide is, is the key sentence, I think, which, which ups the ante um, from ASIC's perspective, that the obligations require issuers and distributors to develop and maintain effective product governance arrangements across the life cycle of financial products. I know yes. that that was something highlighted in the Royal Commission, and I know that that's something that has been discussed. But that sentence alone, uh, I think, really pushes the level up um, because... It's got no suggestion in there to attempt it. It's all about develop and maintain. And later on, again, it refers the issuer must have an appropriate target market. And if they can't identify one, they cannot issue the product. 
Yeah. And and look, I think that there's going to be, it's really interesting because there's a tension in the document. On one hand, they say, when you develop the target market document, it's not about individual consumers, right? Mm. But, but then it is about individual consumers. And so what they're applying is that it's kind of like the, the man on the, on the 94 Clapham bus that, that you, you, so you're, you're looking at a potential consumer, but you have to look at the range of consumers that may be in fact on that bus. So whilst you are not looking at Naomi Burley specifically, you're looking at people who are like Naomi Burley and you're looking at people who are like Kwame and who are people like Carol. And, and that's the problem is that the range of people you have to look at can be potentially quite large. So it's up to the marketing, uh, to the issuer, to then say, mm. who do I not want it to be sold to? And that's when the that's distribution right. comes up. And that's why, you know, we'll be dealing with that very specifically because it is mm. those those factors about who you want to sell it to and how you control distribution that are going to be very difficult. Um, is, and certainly I think for very many ent entities, that's going to be a hard one. And, I think and that's so, the problem, isn't it? it yeah. The supervision and, of your distribution. And, and as you said, it's really important for compliance people to be at the forefront of this. And we all yeah. know myriad examples of, you know, genius product developers who go, who, who issue something and then advise compliance that, oh, yeah, you better advise ASIC we're doing this. Um, but it says you must at the outset plan how the product and its distribution will be monitored and reviewed. So it's got to have a yeah. compliance plan. Well, well, when you look at the ASIC's response to the submissions on, on um, CP3325, they say kind of disingenuously, I think, that issuers and distributors should have developed over time a reasonable understanding of what design or distribution approaches result in poor outcomes for consumers. Well, no one ever designs a product expecting it to be a failure. No one ever goes out there and says, this product is designed to screw people. Um, and you know, there are some products which are heavily weighted towards particular class of people. So for instance, some of the forestry products which had pictures of woofy men standing at the bottom of trees with chainsaws, et cetera, were all designed to be promoted for minors, as an example. But, but it wasn't designed to screw them. It actually was designed to, to get their money and so that therefore the pictures in the, in the um, PDSs, et cetera, were particularly skewed to um, a particular um, work group. But no one, I, and I'm possibly being unkind in saying this or kind, I, I you know, there, there was no level of criminality. Mm. And certainly I think that, that that's the thing that is the problem here is that it almost requires people to, to put on a hat of, the, of someone and objectively analyse their, their product and then be able to assert to ASIC that, yes, our, our tests for for um, that particular product were appropriate. And so this is why it's going to require for many people that they'll be, be looking to have external sign-off on those particular products. And, and I am certain that there'll be very many um, compliance firms and as I said, actuaries, et cetera, who will be involved in that to make certain it works. Mm. So as an example, the success of the product, you, you have to look at AFCA complaints, 
So if, if, for instance, your product has had a number of complaints about it, well, the complaints may be not about the product itself but could be about, you know, the distribution of it. Well, then that's a failure in itself according to these, these rules. You need to look at the number of claims that have been made. So if a product is designed for a particular market where there are the potential for more claims than others, then that in itself can be can mean that the product is a failure. You know, you need to look at whether taxation laws have changed during the course of it. You know, the, there is a very, very wide number of issues that need to be considered by people in determining the success of the product during its life cycle. And but, but I think the language of the regulatory guide is all about the success for the consumer. So this mm. customer focus is yep. is is very upfront with ASIC. So I think that that is also another shift and yeah. brings in, brings in um, you know, a conduct risk element where you have to think about the, you have to genuinely think about the customer um, yes. in a slightly different way. Because you're right, no one has designed a product that they think will not um, bring returns, but it's the, it's the absolute matching up, you know, yeah. uh, well, of your when product you with the, your target yeah. market. When you look at the explanatory memorandum for the changes to the Corps Act for this particular, um, uh, for the DDO um, provisions, um, it says, most importantly, these obligations will encourage issuers and distributors to have a customer-centric approach to designing, marketing and distribu distributing financial products. So customer centricity is actually at the core of the whole yeah. whole of these arrangements but the problem is is that this is something that's been grappled with by a number of but you know for the many many years that I've been in in financial services firms I mean there's been psychologists who come out and look at it and and they've been you know statisticians and they've been actuaries and and they've been legal firms etc who are all looking at how you develop products that are actually going to work effectively for retail consumers. I, and, think, and I think what they'll have to do though, Carol, don't you think is flip it and make it, re, you know, also think about how they are going to demonstrate that the, the people it's being sold to meet all the criteria of the target market. Yes. Don't you think there's and, some other engineering yeah, in there? Yeah, there will be. And the problem is, is that because you're using this objective test, you know, they it's they say specifically that you can't exclude somebody who doesn't meet the the requirements for that particular group. So, say for instance, it's a product designed for someone who is, you know, um, a moderately um, um, affluent person who has you know got um, a strong understanding of of financial services, but it's bought by somebody who isn't. Then, provided that that they're given the requisite information that doesn't preclude them from buying it and that's the problem is that when you have direct sales mechanisms so when somebody can bypass distribute you know going through a financial advisor to access a product then the risk is that there will be people in those products who do not meet the the you know target requirements yeah i, I think that i think that's a very real risk Carol, and, and definitely that's something that then needs to go on the risk management schedule because ASIC is asking you to demonstrate that you've maintained the effective governance around that product as an issuer. Yes. 
Yeah. yeah. And and it's the governance arrangements that, that are going to be the ongoing and real challenge for our members. Um, they will be responsible for ensuring that they work. Yeah. So they, and, that, and you know, no reliance, no longer a reliance on any kind of disclosure as well, I noticed right yeah, up front. Exactly. You, you can't just say, well, look, we tried. Um, because they're, they're not going to, to allow that to be an exculpatory way of dealing with it. Yeah. Because, it, and it's not just that the um, obligation ends at the date of the issue of the, of the PDS. No, and that, it's the entire life cycle. It is the life cycle. And the interesting thing is that everybody has, is very much aware of the need for supplementary PDSs and the sorts of circumstances that trigger it. There is a tremendous reluctance in the in the um, um, product area to issue supplementary PDSs, and there's lots of reasons why. It's because they get messy. Um, how do you know somebody's actually read the the supplementary yeah. part? How you incorporate by reference material into things, etc. It's a very issue. It's a very difficult thing. And, and it's costly. And, and so if you issue paper PDSs, then the issue of, of keeping um, consumers up to date with, with supplementary um, material is a hard one. During the life cycle, however, of financial product now, you have to do it. And, and not only is it about um, saying, well, is there additional information, but it's the information that would not necessarily form a part of the PDS that can, can actually determine whether you can continue to offer the product. So if, if there is a, a quirk in the product that actually is in the interest of the financial um, um, product developer, not the consumer, you actually have to, to bring that to the attention of people. So there are no um, get out of jail free cards here for anybody. It really does mean that during, once the product is issued, you cannot take your eye off it. You, you know, there it needs to be perfect. That exactly, there needs to be a perfect, as well. yeah, perfect um, information flows from the people who are, who are liaising with customers on the phone to the marketing people who are developing the marketing documentation, to the people who are going out and speaking to various distribution firms, to the distribution firms themselves. And, and the, that perfect um, knowledge has to be then communicated back to the keepers of the knowledge who are going to be our, our members and who are themselves going to be in charge of the product governance arrangements and ensuring that for each and every product, mm. there is a regular and ongoing review. How often that review has to be, I am not entirely certain, but I would have said that it will be triggered by events, but at the very least, one would have hoped that each product would be reviewed at least quarterly, mm. if, you know, if there are no events. Yeah. To, to ensure that there is a tick-off to make so certain it's happening. Busy time ahead for our members uh, to get this happening in under 12 months. Yes, yes de definitely. So, I mean, we've come just to the edge of time, actually. Um, so I get a final question. Um, you know, considering the life cycle of the product and having to have that perfect knowledge, what is your advice for risk and compliance professionals who are trying to get the business to understand this for those types of products? 
Look, it's going to be a very big training exercise and, and of course, GRCI will be doing everything that we can to train you to, um, not you, you as in listeners, to, to be able to, to better um, understand what your obligations are. We'll be doing webinars, etc. And we certainly want to hear any feedback that you have about issues that you'd like us to talk about, about you know, how we can improve your understanding of things. I think it's a, it's a matter of people, for the people who are involved on the front line to start the training now, even if you just do a high level training for your board and for your senior executives so that they understand what the obligations are, that's a starting point. Then you have to make certain that it drills down to every aspect of the firm. So it can be that somebody's, um, um, as an example, a fund manager, for a, um, a product and there's something happening in Malaysia that may in fact impact on returns at that particular time, is that something that you need to think about? Um, somebody's getting a few phone calls from a particular nursing home, is that something you need to think about? These are the sorts of issues that are going to have to be filtered into the process so that at any one time the product governance can, can be um, as pure as it can be in terms of, of understanding, you know, how the product is actually working. It's not going to be an easy time, but I think together we can no. get over it. But the main thing is that, you know, it's, it's really important to read as much as you possibly can. Unfortunately, the reg guide is 90 pages, which is, you know, a relatively hefty read, but you must read that in conjunction with with um, the response to submissions um, from, from ASIC and any other materials that can come out in the market. So a number of the law firms, as an example, are already putting out um, explanatory, um, helpful explanatory um, statements on what can happen. So, and, and it's a matter of sitting down with your law firms as well and just finding out from them, you know, what products they're going to be doing to help you are they going to be developing various tools that can help you? And, and, you know, to what extent that all feeds into it? Because, look, it can be something as simple as you get a, a, um, an audit report um, from your auditor and there are some issues in relation to your particular firm. Is that something that needs to be included? I don't know. I, I, you know, but I, I sort of think that at the very least that, these are the types of things that are needing to be considered and there needs to be a list of things so that everything is, is being, being funneled through so that there can be an active consideration process. Okay, excellent. Thank, Thank you, Carol's you very much. point, Kwame, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd probably throw in there um, as, a, as a final thing. I think for some people, some compliance professionals in some organisations, it will mean actually explaining to your board that they need to rejig the process flow on design and distribution mm. to include them at a much earlier stage and that they will need some kind of system for documenting the governance arrangements and having them available at any point in time if BASIC happens to want to have a chat. Um, but designing those in advance, as Carol suggested, all the possible things you might need to demonstrate that you've executed those duties um, should yeah. be included in your plan for it. And any, anywhere you're going to you're going to save it, store it, or, or whatever. You don't want it to be running in a series of emails. You want it kept somewhere centrally. And the last thing I, I you know, want to say is this is a time for people to purge product. 
there may be some products that you're hanging on to for whatever reason. Um, it, the new provisions don't apply to closed products, they only apply to open ones. But it's really important that you may be keeping on something just because that's been historically where you want to go, but it may not be your best product. So now's the time to look and say, what are our best products? What are the ones that we want to hang our hat on? Because ASIC will look at your worst and will certainly be taking action against you if you don't you know, start to tighten up the ones that are a bit daggy and you know, you've known for a while are, are not necessarily the ones that are in the best interest of consumers. So it, it actually is a positive step for, for in some respects for our members because it can reduce the compliance burden that you've had for many years in relation to some of the products. But, you know, certainly look at your legacy product and say, do we want to continue with it? Um, and if not, well, then close it um, because certainly I think that there's opportunities there. But, you know, if I can just say from myself, to all of the listeners, thank you very much for your listening to me over this year. Um, it's been a very difficult year, I know, for very many of you, and I only and we are very fortunate in Australia. We don't have the situation that the rest of the world has. So, you know, I'm grateful for your support, as as I know, as GRCIR, and we look forward to your continued listening in 2021. Excellent. Yes. I echo those sentiments exactly, and I'm sure Naomi does as well. Well, thank you very much, Carol and Naomi, for um, having this discussion. It feels like there needs to be a part to this podcast, so we shall discuss that on a later date. Yeah. Thank you. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.